looks like we're recording. Alright, so I'll start us out. Um, gonna... We need to say something funny before we start, don't we? Yeah, that's funny. I don't have anything funny to say, but... I know. That's why it's so funny. <laughs> um... Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it in my uh, history of like how I came to where I am and how... Like, I didn't want to come to this conclusion. And so, like, I studied it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from where you came from, this conclusion is terrible, right? It's horrible. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Practically Theologians, where we attempt to make theology practical. I'm here today with Nikki. Joining us from where, Nikki? Monument, Colorado. Monument, Colorado. And I'm in uh, the lovely state of Washington, right across the water from Seattle. Oh boy. How are you liking your lockdown there in Monument? Uh, well, I work from home uh, as it is, so my life hasn't changed too much. Uh, I don't. I sometimes I forget my mask when I have to go in stores and I just, I just push through. I went to the dentist the other day without a mask and uh, they didn't say anything, but today when Kimmy and my wife went, uh, she had to wear a mask when she came in. So I don't know if they were mad at me and were taking it out on her, but uh, <laughs> well, but yeah, well. This first. Yes. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a subject that many people are unfamiliar with. And when they hear about it, Christians may think, wow, why would anybody hold to that? Um, exclusive psalmody. And uh, this is a subject I've kind of looked at in the past. I was interested in understanding the position. I actually have a lot of sympathy for the position to just put my cards out there. But uh, I'm not gonna, we're not going to get into a, a polemic Either way, on this topic, it's more an introduction into what this is. Just because I, I find that it seems it seems like a lot of people, a lot of Christians, are just unaware of this view. And yet, if you know people who hold to this view, they seem they seem like perfectly normal people. They don't they're not like base aliens. They don't have they don't just wear suits everywhere they go and starch their collars. You know. Um, and, and just just to interject, I mean, I do not. If you look at me, I do not belong in the church. In the demographic? <laughs> no, you would think that I would go... In the stodgy uh, demographic? To the what? The stodgy demographic? I'm not familiar with that term, but <laughs> you wouldn't think that I would end up in the denomination that I'm, that I'm in, so I definitely... Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, so anyway, right at the outset, I wanted to say that we're not trying to convince anybody of this position. It's an introduction into what is yep. this position. For the benefit of our brothers, who we just don't understand this position. And uh, oftentimes, a lack of understanding leads to a lack of grace. Or is it a lack of grace that leads to a lack of understanding? Hmm. We're Calvinists, aren't we? <laughs> okay. So, Nikki, uh, how big of an expert on the subject are you? I, th I said I would ask you this because I want to establish that you are not Denny Pruto. You are... Uh, you came to this position relatively recently, and so, as you describe this, this is a result of your personal study, right? It's uh, it's not really like you've written a book on the subject or anything. So, no, yeah, uh, this is definitely, um, I guess, a, a subject that I haven't been, uh, I haven't held this position for, probably held it for about ten months so far, or close to a, close to a year, um, but I guess. Uh, uh, to, to say how much of an expert I am, let me give you just maybe like a history of how I came to the position. It'll kind of help out a little bit. Um, so I, I grew up in actually a Pentecostal uh, Assemblies of God church, um, which is uh, nothing at all like a, a Presbyterian's uh, background. We're uh, very much into the spiritual gifts and um, 
just do uh, the Pentecostal ways. Um, and then uh, uh, some time ago, I came across uh, the uh, a video on John Piper and his view on um, the sovereignty of God and just reformed theology, meaning uh, particularly the, uh, the doctrines of grace, tulip. And um, that just sparked um, uh, me looking into that and then discovering, oh man, I'm, I don't think I'm a, I, I don't fit into the denomination of a Pentecostal anymore. So I was like, what, what in the world am I? So I knew that uh, God was sovereign and uh, I wanted to follow that track. So uh, I went to Sangre de Cristo Seminary where I was around reformed uh, Presbyterians and reformed Baptists as far as uh, not in the RPCNA reformed, but just uh, confessional Presbyterians and confessional Baptists. Go ahead. You say RPCNA, it uh, flows right out of the mouth. Maybe our listeners don't understand that. Maybe just real quick, just give that. Yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to make the distinction that the RPCNA is a Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. And oftentimes uh, in conversation, we uh, will we'll use the term RP to talk about those who maybe hold to this position. Uh, from what from what I've heard and talked to people, most Presbyterians don't call themselves RP uh, individuals. So I just wanted to make yeah that distinction. So now we can use the terminology freely. Yes. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, I was looking into different views, and uh, my good friend Josh here uh, would uh, we'd spend uh, go to Frisbee together or go into town together, and I would just ask him all these questions and everything I'm dealing with. Uh, which he previously struggled with earlier in his life. And uh, I just came to the conclusion that uh, the Presbyterian form of covenant theology and uh, church and uh, a man, I guess, I don't know, uh, everything uh, came to that conclusion. And um, so once I was a Presbyterian, I was like, okay, where do I, where do I go? I got convinced of the Lord's day of going to church uh, uh, on Sunday. I wanted to go to church twice if I had the opportunity and the only church in my area that offered that was an RPCNA church um, who sings only psalms. So I went in there for an evening service, and um, I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is different. Um, I'm used to this kind of liturgical kind of church service from seminary, but I'm not used to singing just psalms. So um, I was going there more, and then I started to be consumed with the, the question, um, either they're, they're right or they're wrong. Um, and uh, I'm pretty black and white with a lot of how I see things. And so I, I the the drive that I had to get to the bottom of this, this, uh, this question of should we sing the Psalms only in worship came from a place of wanting to worship God in its most uh, purest um, <clears throat> form in which he commands us to do. So I uh, went back to seminary over the next six months to a year or so, it's just still wrestling with this question. And I came across a book called Public Worship by Denny Pruteau, as you mentioned before. And uh, in that, he lays out the position. And uh, after reading that, I became convinced of the position. And it's, I think it's funny because it's not a position that I wanted to come to. I, I, I didn't want to land on the position where I did land, but um, I just became con- convinced of it through through scripture and uh, through reading what uh, Denny Pruteau said. A question uh, related to that. So it's not just singing the Psalms that is the big issue for Christians. I imagine if you only sung Psalms, but you put them to certain music and you sung them in a certain way, nobody would even notice. Uh, what's another aspect of, of an exclusive psalmody church service that people would miss if they went uh, yeah, so I think uh, I just did it. I, I took for granted that because uh, it goes so close with, with singing that, that we don't use uh, any instruments in worship. Um, and we definitely can talk about that uh, in in a minute. I just wanted to first first establish the, the regulative principle. Yeah. Well, wait, well, we were talking about your history, and, I, and there were no instruments in the church you went to. And what's a little bit of your history related to instruments? Just was <clears throat> what you're coming from. Oh yeah, so <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess I'm. Th- that's a really funny question. Uh, I used to be a uh, lead singer in a, or I don't know if you call me a singer, a, a lead screamer, I guess, in a metal band called Nevada Rose. Um, we toured and were uh, signed to Tragico Records, um, 
And so uh, I love music. Uh, I play acoustic guitar, not super well, but uh, I've played acoustic guitar. Bands, right? What? (laughs) Well enough to play in one of those bands, right? (laughs) Well, I didn't play an instrument. I just sang and was kind of the front man, but. Okay. Gotcha. I I played acoustic guitar for, you know, like a Wednesday night youth group or something like that with uh, the churches that I was with when I was younger. Um, And so, yeah, this was quite different going into a church where it's just all acapella singing. Um, and there's, there's reasons for that and we can get into, but, uh, we will. that was, def- that was definitely, that was a secondary issue to me before this, the, the words that we're singing in a, in a worship service was. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, that's a primary issue, the musical instruments, um, at least in my experience. Well, you know what? I, after it wasn't, I was fine without the instruments because you got used to it in seminary, I guess, huh? No, we we sang with the the organ. Oh yeah, I was thinking like uh, Wednesday chapel, and I guess we had a piano and organ. I forget all that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah so I, I would find it oftentimes more distracting, and there was a few times before I came to uh, to my the church I go to now where we did sing a cappella. Uh, I think the power was out one day and we sang a cappella and I was like, man, that was beautiful. Um, but as far as like, like what God has commanded us to do, that wasn't on the forefront of my mind. I suppose that it should have been, but it wasn't, it wasn't primary to me. Yeah. Wow. So you came to this position by going to an RPCNA church there in Colorado, eh? Colorado Springs, you say? Um, Mon- monument. It was five oh, minutes from my house. Oh, I thought it was Springs. Okay. I thought you went yeah. to an evening service service in Springs or something like that. I have before. I did before at you know sometimes throughout the year, but I I first went to the RPC in the ah, church. Okay. Cool. And so uh, this set you off in studying the topic because yeah, either they were right or they were wrong, and yeah. Um, so where did you start to? Where would you start to help people understand the position? Um. You mentioned the regulative principle. Sure. Uh, I don't know if that's okay, a yeah. point. Yeah, okay. We could establish that first. I thought you meant like actual reading material. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say Denny Proutot right off the bat. There's there's several shorter pamphlets that are maybe like five or six short, very short pages um, that would be able to quickly articulate the position. Um, but yeah, so the, the regulative principle. You want to list those off real quick just so people can reference them if they want? Uh. I can't. Can you do it in sermon and podcast notes? Yeah, I could put those in there if you want to send them to me at some point. Okay, I'll send it over to you. All all I have right now is just public worship one on one by Denny Prutel, but I can yeah. give you some other short pamphlets. Yeah, just in case people are curious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the regulative principle. Uh, if you look at uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, which is not the Bible, if you're if you don't what? know what that is. But. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's a statement, if you're not familiar with that, it's a statement of what uh, uh, a Presbyterian uh, believes about certain doctrines of faith, what we believe it's about a, God. What we it's a confession of faith. It's a confession, confession of faith. It says, this is what we believe. Yep, that's exactly it. And so, uh, again, uh, I'm referencing the Westminster, but it's, it's not scripture, but it, it puts forth, forth this idea of um, the regulative principle, meaning that uh, what we do in worship, uh, we should only do in worship what God has commanded us to do in worship. There's another side, another uh, uh, understanding that you could have, which is the normative principle. And that's whatever God hasn't forbid in worship, we're allowed to do in worship. Um, So uh, I think that the scriptures uh, clearly teach the regulative principle and uh, just so our listeners know, uh, Josh, I think we, we both hold to the regulative principle, but we come to two different conclusions about the songs that we should sing in a public worship service. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, so again, that's why we sing uh, the RP CNA, uh, sing only the Psalms in worship, because that's what we see God commanding us in scripture. So maybe, Josh, if, if you have a better idea, maybe just looking at Colossians uh, 3, 16-ish and Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. That looks, that sounds good. Okay, sweet. So let me pull it up. 
Uh, Colossians 3. Uh, 15 and 16. So uh, reading from the ESV. Um, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, there's another uh, verse in Ephesians. Uh, I'm not going to read it if you'd like to reference it. It's, I think it's Ephesians 5, uh, 19 and 20 um, that also talk about the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, and so, so how uh, someone in the RPCNA understands that verse, uh, the contemporary ear hears hymns and spiritual songs and they think, okay, hymns are the, those old songs written in the 1800s. Um, so we definitely can sing those. Um, but I, I think if you look at the historical context um, of Paul's writings, he would have been referencing the Septuagint uh, when he would have been looking at the book of Psalms. And um, in, the, in the book of Psalms, the Psalms are entitled as Psalms. Uh, and then you have some Psalms that are entitled as uh, hymns, uh, a hymn of, of thanksgiving. Um, and then you also have some entitled uh, spiritual songs. Um, and B.B. Uh, uh, Warfield did a helpful uh, study of what uh, the word spiritual there is, spiritual songs. Um, and I, I think that I might be off by one number or so, but I think it's of the 25 or 26 references in the New Testament of that word spiritual, um, 24, 25. So pretty much all but one time um, it's referencing the Holy Spirit. So I think a, another way to, to say that, that expression, psalms, hymns, and um, Holy Spirit inspired songs. Um, so, so that's why I come to that conclusion. I know it's a, it's a text that people run to thinking that it's actually against singing just psalms. But in, in my position, I think that it's actually a, a, uh, a verse that's actually saying that to just sing the psalms. And from what I've seen, that's kind of a central exegetical argument that, that, be, that becomes a central exegetical text. It's a text that people run to to either... To debate, basically. So if you're exclusive, you're going to go to that text and say it argues that you should only sing Holy Spirit-inspired songs. So spiritual, right? That's B.B. Warfield's mm -hmm. statement is brought in there. Um, but what about the connection to the titles of the Psalms as they're put into the Septuagint, for example? Isn't that part of the argument? Yeah. Yeah, so again, just... Um <clears throat> Paul would have been reading from the uh, Septuagint. You'll see sometimes uh, when you're <clears throat> when you're looking at some of Paul's writings in the New Testament, and you look at him quoting an Old Testament verse, and then you'll go flip in your Bible to that Old Testament passage. You'll see that the the wording is a little different. Um, again, that's because he's he's reading from the uh, Septuagint. Um, and in the Septuagint, again, you had those those titles: Psalms, hymns, and um, I don't think you have the, the title spiritual songs, but you have the title for some of the Psalms as songs. Um, so again, uh, if you're looking at the historical context, I think that's what Paul is talking about. I think when the, the original audience heard that, they would have understood it as that. So in terms of the regulative principle of worship, having that text in the New Testament then would be a positive command to sing only inspired songs and specifically from the Psalter. Is that, is that where all that leads? Yep, pretty much. Um, and I, I think you have that in, in verse uh, Colossians 3.15, where it talks about the words of Christ. Again, this is, this is a topic that could definitely be deba debated, but I think um, uh, the interpretation of it being the, like, what are the words of Christ um, could definitely uh, be the, 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 the songs of the Old Testament, the, the, the book of Psalms. Uh, in the Old Testament, not just the songs of the Old Testament, but particularly the, the Psalter of the Old Testament. Well, that kind of opens up, opens up a side issue. Um, I don't know if you have it in your notes here, but you want to talk about an objection that I've heard. I've not, I've not personally put this objection out, but I've heard it in the context of people who do object. Personally, I've heard it. Uh, the sure. that if we only sing psalms, then we don't sing about Jesus. 
Um, yeah. Can you talk about the Psalter and how it, how can it be? It's, and by the way, in the Greek, is it the word of Christ in terms of it being a genitive from Christ, of Christ in that way? Or is it the word of Christ in terms of it being about Christ? I can't tell you off the top of my head. I, I'm not sure. I'd have to look it, at the Greek. It being about Christ, and we know it's of Christ because all all of Scripture is, mm-hmm. he is the word of God, right? Um, but yeah. So talk about the Psalms and how they, like, don't you like to sing about Jesus, Nikki? <laughs> yeah, so I think this is just where there's a, a fundamental just um, uh, misunderstanding of, of what uh, the Psalms uh, are. I think that uh, whenever you come to a passage, you want to preach that passage. Um, every passage in Scripture should revolve around Jesus Christ and, and, and a redemptive nature of what he has accomplished for the sinner, how he has revealed God to man. Um, you look at uh, Luke, uh, goodness, I think it's twenty four forty four, where it talks about um, all that was written in, in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms were written about me. Uh, Jesus says that on the uh, Aramaic road to the uh, two uh, men. And so um, when we sing the Psalms, we're singing the words uh, the word of God, the words of, of Christ. Um, and we know that he did sing them. We see uh, at the Passover feast, um, uh, the last meal, uh, he's singing with the d- disciples uh, and they would have been likely singing from the, um, I think it's called the Hallel section, Psalm 113 or 118. Um, so, and we have other references uh, in the New Testament where Jesus is seen singing the Psalms. Um, so, so Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was he doing there? Like, yeah, I, I think I, I think what you saw in the in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross was that he, in a moment of agony, not only was he, well, not only was he saying, "Hey, this psalm is about me," but he was really crying out those those words, those words that were written by David that he was actually that were written about him. Um, so. In the Psalter, you have an his, a historical, real account of things that are happening that David isn't just writing all about Christ in the future, but he's also just writing about himself and his own actual experiences. I mean, when he talks about, you know, dogs surrounding him and scoffing him and saying, you know, if if uh, God is your friend, then uh, let him come and save you. Um, we see those being real historically to, to David, but then also pointing forward to Christ. Um, oh, so yeah, it wasn't real to David. Sure. It's not like David was laid in the dust of death and his, the kings of the other nations surrounded him and laughed at him because that never happened to David. Um, yeah. So it had, to, sure. it had to be pointing forward to the Messiah. Sure. I, I think probably to some degree it could have been metaphorically applied to, not literally applied to David's circumstances, yep. like yep. where it says that um, in Psalm 22, that you pierced my hands and my feet clearly a reference to, to Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, I haven't given too much depth into what that really would have meant uh, to David, but um, well, again, it made- there's a textual variant there too. Yep. Yeah. So, but yeah, the point is the uh, applicability of the Psalms to the Messiah, to mm-hmm. Jesus is a hundred percent, huh? Is that, is that- yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think in the Psalms, you actually have a much richer um, songs than we than we could write because in the in the Psalter um, we have the the inner emotional like kind of life of Christ, what he was experiencing and going through. We um, I don't think we have that to the same extent as we have in uh, modern hymns that talk about. I mean, the glorious uh, work of Christ on the cross. I mean. Um, that there's there's so many well written hymns that are are putting forth such profound and great theologically accurate uh, truths, um, but I think that they still fall short of what the Psalms are writing about the the inner life of Christ and his his suffering, his agony, his his triumphs, um, this his whole life, and also how his people respond to salvation. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and you, you said something there about, uh, just just to clarify the position even more, you said something about well-written hymns. Uh, so, are you anti-hymn? 
<laughs> uh, <clears throat> actually, this is a very good point. So I make a distinction, and I think the Bible makes a distinction of what what is corporate public worship and what is private worship, what you do outside of the, the public worship service. Um, in the public worship service of God, I think that he has given us uh, commandments of how we are to worship him. And that's why I've come to this position of uh, exclusive psalmity, only singing the psalms, because I think that that's what the Bible teaches. Um, and we look at Ezra and Nehemiah, we can talk about that in a minute. But, um, uh, oh goodness, I lost my train of thought. But uh, maybe let me let me talk about that real quick. So uh, with Ezra in, your, in your private life. Oh, okay, Th- thanks for bringing it back. Yeah, so that, that God hasn't... Um, uh, it, there's there's a difference in the, the public worship of God with the community of believers in a church service than there is sitting in your living room. Um, and so if you're, you know, at home, if you wanted to listen to, to hymns and to contemporary Christian music, uh, definitely not all contemporary Christian music, uh, but uh, some, uh, I think that, uh, that that is definitely okay. If you want to write your own songs uh, to a guitar, to something at home, um, uh, I think that that's okay. I, I personally would rather sing the Psalms because of my position, but that's not something that uh, has been regulated by God. I don't think. I don't think that's in the scriptures. So, okay. So maybe falls in the realm of painting a beautiful painting or writing a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. And uh, you wouldn't necessarily paint a painting in church because you're not a normative principle guy, but a normative principle person would have no problem with that. Yeah, so the logical conclusion is that, uh, and I've been in churches where they, they've painted, you know, Christ's face and like on stage and with like a three-minute song behind it. And it's a, a beautiful thing. Um, but <clears throat> if you take it to its logical conclusion, logical conclusion you could say hey i'm an amazing basketball player and i'm going to set up a basketball hoop in the sanctuary during the worship service of god to show off this great talent that i have of look how great i am at basketball um i I think that's the logical conclusion you can come to that it just the normative principle takes things extremely out of uh it can go very wrong very quick leaves it up to the discretion of the individual yeah Uh, um so you mentioned the Old Testament, and uh, you're talking in terms of public worship. Okay, so there are two things there. One has to do with this idea of public worship versus private worship versus just regular old life, which I would I would put into the idea of kind of existing in, in a realm of private worship, but not specific to sitting down and doing private worship. So, So you've got kind of regular life which includes private worship. And then you've got public worship. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't make that distinction, um, but you do. And so do I. Uh, can you explain why there's a distinction between coming together corporately and say having uh, family worship with your wife and kids or having a Bible sure. study with a couple friends? Yeah. Um, I think if I could just give one sentence. Uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if we talked about this. Yet, so, Prior, I don't know if you're prepared for this question, but if not, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, uh, if, if I could just answer this in one sentence, I would say that if everything's worship, then nothing's worship. Um, when you look at the uh, just how God worked with his people in the Old Testament, you see that there was particular times that they gathered together, the, the, the Sabbath, uh, Saturday set aside to worship God to uh, make uh, sacrifices and and offerings to Him, um, and I think you see that continued in the New Testament, where uh, the Christian uh, isn't called to publicly worship the Lord on any given day of the week that they so choose, but um, has been moved to to the Lord's Day to the uh, to the Christian Sabbath, which uh, is Sunday um, after the the resurrection of Christ. Um, so that's just. Uh, that's a day that we're called by God to come and to worship him, to gather together as a community one day in seven to set aside and to uh, just be encouraged by all the blessings that God has given us in a church service, the preaching of the word, the the singing of, of songs, uh, prayer, communion, baptism, um, yeah. or ordinations. Uh, okay. I'll clarify one thing. You said if everything's worship, then nothing is worship. Maybe uh, 
maybe you could just say if everything's special, then nothing's special. Um, sure. I think as humans, we're just, we're, we worship. <laughs> mm-hmm. We worship rightly. We worship wrongly. We walk, worship the true God. We worship many times false gods, but, but if, uh, if basically uh, what you're saying is public worship is special, but if everything's special, mm-hmm. then nothing's really special. And so therefore you can't really have public worship. So it's really a matter of understanding that there are special occasions that are different than every other occasion, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. The Bible, in the Old Testament, into the New Testament. You see it in creation. Even before the fall, God set aside one day that was holy. So. Yep. Yeah, not, not every single day was made holy, though every day was good. Um, there was something distinct and special about that day that God has given to man. Um, that, that quite honestly, I think it's foolish if we take into our, uh, you know, the idea that we're free from the law, therefore we can kind of do whatever we want. We're under this state of just pure grace. Um, I think that the church at large has that viewpoint um, and that we're, we're really forsaking the gift that God has given us to just stop one day out of seven, to put aside all schoolwork, to put aside all, um, all occupation and just to, to just be saturated with uh, Christ, to be meditating on the scriptures, uh, meditating in prayer, um, and just gathering together as the body all together. So the primary of, idea of that day is it's a special day of worship. Yeah. As distinct from every other single, every other day and every single minute you are alive is also worship, but it's not. Yes. The, the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is always within the heart, within the, the temple of the, the believer. Um, but there's something that, distinctly and uniquely happens where God, um, uh, so to speak, manifests himself in the public, not physically, uh, visually, but uh, physically in the communion, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. clarifying that. That's very important. Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think it was my pastor. Somebody said, I think it was my pastor during membership class. And, and then uh, ever since I've been thinking about worship this way, it's like we're stepping into heaven. Yes, we're, we're experiencing heavenly worship when we enter into public worship. It's like a, an embassy, I think, is how he described it. It's like we're, yeah, we're on, when you're in the embassy, you're on American soil, even if you're in China or Iraq or wherever. You step into that embassy, you're in America. Yeah, um, it's when you come in, when you come together for worship, you're stepping into heaven. So I, I, that was a cool way of putting it. And. and uh, particularly during our time of, of quarantine, this is why uh, we won't get into it, but I think that the church is being, uh, uh, what's the right word? Not, not destroyed. Um, that's not the right word, but that we're hurting because we're not gathering together as a body. I think that um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, Josh, you said it's been like two months since you've physically been in the presence of someone, a man proclaiming the word of God from the scriptures. And I think that that absolutely does have a spiritual effect on the people of God to, to have that withheld from them, I think is a great travesty. Yeah, me too. Speaking of communion, I, I grew up kind of having monthly to quarterly communion in our church. Uh but then I kind of got accustomed to monthly and then I got accustomed to weekly and now mm. here I am again, back to quarterly. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew yeah. to really appreciate having weekly communion. Um, and I, I've missed not just the communion, but everything that communion teaches us about fellowship, about unity in the body, uh, about different mm. roles in the body and, Especially, communion really does teach us we are we are physical beings who who will exist body and soul with our perfect Jesus Christ, who's going to return at, and resurrect us into a new creation. That's that physicality of worship just reminds us of the uh, defeat of death. Uh, so it's kind of a big deal to miss that. I think, but yeah, no, absolutely. So we've established in uh, public worship as at least we we're not arguing for it. You're you're. This is not what this interview is about. 
But I think mm-hmm. both of us would argue for it. <clears throat> yeah. uh, but in terms of public worship, so let's say then, let's just type that hypothetically you think this is the way things should be. And of course, we do think this, that there should be a day of worship when the church gathers. Uh, here's preaching, has prayer, there's singing, there's sacrament. Um, and we're talking about singing. And um, we, we established this weekly meeting, this weekly special time from the old testament even from the beginning of creation the seventh day being set aside and we see a pattern of feast days and we see a pattern of weekly uh meetings uh of worship in the old testament don't we and and this is part of uh how does this tie in with exclusive psalmody can you try to rephrase that question well just a little bit more um, what I'm wondering is, you're not just basing your exclusive psalmody based on on Colossians three and Ephesians five. Do you see a yeah? Do you see something that comes from more of the Bible, basically. Yeah, I just kind of the, the go to where where I think about um, is uh, from Ezra and Nehemiah uh, when you see <clears throat> when you see the uh, temple worship being reinstituted. Um, you see the psalms coming back. Uh, into being practiced. So if you have your Bible and you want it to reference it later, it's Ezra 3, uh, 10 to 11. Um, and you see the people gathering together and they're singing s- uh, songs of praise to God. Uh, and it says uh, they're, uh, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, King of Israel. And then, uh, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. Uh, and then they're the, the, one of the quotes that they're singing is from, directly from a psalm. Um, and then if you look at Nehemiah 12, 45 to 46, it says a similar thing that um, they, they established the, the singers, the gatekeepers, all that stuff, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. And they uh, sang songs of, of praise and thanksgiving to God, praise uh, uh, um, and thanksgiving to God, just really from the, the psalms, I think. I don't see Ezra and Nehemiah singing anything other than the the Psalms uh, at that, that time. Um, so that that's that's a reason why uh, I think that because they stuck to the Book of Psalms, I think that that's one of the another reasons that we should uh, too um, amongst one of the, the the many reasons why I think we should. But I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, that does answer my question. So. <clears throat> What you're saying is you see Old Testament passages that talk about the temple worship, and in the temple worship, the singing was from the Psalter. Is that what you're trying to do? Yes, yes. They didn't just bring forth songs that they just came up with on the spot, um, but the, but the the Psalter was applicable to everything that they would have wanted to sing about, just like I think it's applicable today. <clears throat> you're kind of saying that there is. <clears throat> correspondence of public worship to temple worship in terms of yeah. so what about the the idea that uh, what about worship let's just say during the time of Moses in the during the tabernacle era sure before David came along before the salt yeah. existed um, can you do you have I don't know if that's in your notes <laughs> no no, it's okay. Um, how, how talk about biblical theology and the development of the Psalter, if you if you have anything there. Yeah, no, I I think um, the study of biblical theology uh, and just for our listeners, if you're not familiar with that term, I I'll try to do my best to say what what I think uh, it means. Is just systematic theology would be more saying, okay, this is the doctrine of man. Here's everything that the Bible says about man. Uh, biblical theology is more, I think. I think I understand it more on a linear spectrum where uh, the knowledge about who God is, is growing over time. So kind of like if you had a, if you had a a 45 degree angle and you see it kind of growing in Adam, it's very small. And then as it gets to Moses, it gets bigger Uh, as it gets to to David, it's bigger. And then finally when Christ is revealed, you know, it's uh, massive. Um, And so in the time of Moses, there was no Psalter, um, Right. And I don't interject. Voss has Go a good ahead. definition. The history of special revelation. Anyway. Okay. 
So go ahead. In the time of Moses, there was no Psalter. Sorry. I thought no, I yeah. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> so he had no, nothing uh, to, to really sing from, but as a, uh, the, the prophet of God, you see him uh, directing uh, how we are to, to, how they were to worship God through the, the tabernacle specifically. You think about how particular God was talking about um, the, the specifics of the tabernacle and what it should look like. Um, and so uh, I think God is very, particular and how he wants us to approach him. And he's given us um, the ways that we should do that. But I guess to answer your question, he had no book of Psalms to sing from. So uh, I think at that particular time in redemptive history, uh, it, he worshiped, they worshiped God uniquely um, in a little bit different time than, than we worship God. And for instance, we're not, we're not sacrificing animals uh, on altars anymore, but that has been fulfilled in Christ. So we're worshiping in a different manner than uh, people, uh, you know, 3000 years ago worshiped. So your your so one study of biblical theology would inform one's answer to that question. Uh, I, I believe, as far as I the believe development so. of the Psalter and, and the, de- the development of public worship historically. Yeah. Biblically, historically. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's see. We kind of covered um, talking about the New Testament worship. Uh, we didn't talk about are there other grounds in the New Testament that you would go to talk about in terms of what should, <clears throat> what we should be singing? Uh, yeah, sure. So what um, what I don't find in the New Testament, and again, this goes back to the, the regulative principle, um, again, I I know that there's different views of what psalms, hymns, hymns and spiritual songs are, but I, I don't see uh, the apostles uh, commanding us to um, sing songs that we are freely uh, making up from within ourselves. So if you look at uh, James 5.13, there's a, that text that says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise in that uh that verb uh, to sing praises, uh, solo, which means to sing psalms or sing praises. And again, because of what uh, the subjective elements to the book of Psalms, I think that they are sufficient to to really reach the, the whole of man. I think Calvin calls the, the book of Psalms the anatomy of the soul, um, saying that it, it's, it is uh, purely sufficient to, to really, whatever emotion that you wish to express towards God, um, there is a song to sing to God with God's word. And I think that in singing that Psalm, we, we sing it in a, we, we sing to God in a better way than we could make up those words ourselves. Um, so you're saying the Psalter is better than something I could write. I mean, <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on. I, I think, I think the word of God is better than yeah, something. We've already I could. established the Westminster confession of faith is a, much better document than the Bible, right? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. If if I could just establish this, just for the listener, just something to think about again. This isn't a debate. This isn't. Um, I'm not. I, I hope I'm not. And I actually don't agree with Nikki. Just to be clear, but I, I sound friendly to the idea because I'm. I do. Like I said, I have a lot of sympathy for mm. for exclusive somebody. But anyway, keep going. Okay. What I wanted to say, just to think about, put this in your context of your church uh, listener. Um, Likely you don't sing just the Psalms. And I just wonder, uh, something that that I think happens is, okay, we don't have to sing the Psalms. Um, God allows us to write our own hymns and our own kind of songs to God. From my experience and what I've seen at the church at large is that we've completely abandoned the Psalter to where we don't even sing psalms in church anymore, but we are solely singing, as the church at large, solely singing um, songs that we're writing ourselves. Um, and one thing I appreciate about the the OPC is that um, that you guys both use the Psalter and you use a hymnal. So um, I hope that you guys continue to use a Psalter. I know that, Josh, you, you do love to sing the psalms, um, and you like to sing hymns too, but... I would like to anyway. sing more psalms. Um, I mean, this might be a good place to talk about this idea of, uh, so we write songs today, right? And we they're contemporary, whatever contemporary means. I mean, that's a whole debate in itself. But New, fresh? I don't know. I have no idea. 
because whatever's new is now old. So <laughs> can you talk a little bit about, about the richness of the historical connection that we have through the Psalter? I could, if you don't want to, it's something I love to talk about with my kids. Uh, thousands and thousands of years ago, right? This guy's sitting there writing this song that all the Christian church, which I count Israel as part of the church, just pre-Christ, but just to be clear with the listeners, um, but all through the Israel's history, the history of the church, they were singing these psalms. Jesus sang these psalms. The disciples sang these psalms. The early church sang these psalms. Up until what century approximately was it normal for the church to almost exclusively or exclusively sing from the Psalter? You know? I haven't looked as much in the historical um, since the, the beginning of the church. Um, do, you, do you have an answer on that? Man, I'd say roughly around the 1600s is when hymns started becoming widely popular. 1700s, 1600s. Yeah. Just guessing. Before that, I mean, we had the whole period with the Roman Catholic Church and stuff like that taking over uh, public worship, which they're, yeah, they messed things up pretty well, which is why we kind of had a Reformation thing going on there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> But after the Reformation, the church is sing from the Psalter, pretty much. You have uh, good old Luther, right? I like Luther in general, but he was more a proponent of more of a normative principle idea, which most Lutheran churches are, if not all, even today. But I guess my point is, historically, the Christian church has sung from the Psalter for thousands of years. Is that something that has entered into your thinking at all? Uh, yeah, I I think that church tradition uh, is is of course uh, that is um, subordinate to scripture, but I think that church history is a, a very important uh, tool to consider in how we do anything in worship, not just singing songs in worship, but the whole of our worship. Are we worshiping how they did hundred years ago? during the time of the Reformation, uh, during the time of the early church, the 100, 200, 300 uh, AD. Um, and if we're doing things differently, because certainly the church hasn't always got it right, and I don't think the church even has it right now. To, I'm sure there's stuff that's wrong with the RPCNA and uh, you know my own views that, that uh, I'm praying that God would be gracious and open my eyes to. But I think whenever we break from history or do something new that we haven't done for hundreds or even thousands of years, I think we really just, have to, why, what, what is causing this change? And is it scriptural? Um, and why didn't people hundreds and thousands of years previous practice, whatever it, the, the new position is? I think that's a very, very important uh, thing to consider. I do too. I think uh, we've come to a position in society in general, speaking in general, where we think that newer is always better. There's an underlying philosophy behind that, I'm sure, but I, I'm not smart enough to think of it off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, and and I think people would be more willing and um, open to singing, uh, if, if not just the Psalms, be more open and wanting to sing more of the Psalms in public worship if they just understood, like we were talking about before, what the Psalms are, the subjective element to it, and how Christ is uh, in each of the Psalms, um, how he sings them with us in the uh, local gathering of the church, which is just a profound, um, beautiful thing to know that Christ is singing with us uh, when we sing the Psalms, which I, I don't want to get into. Maybe if you want to say something, you can, but I don't, I don't know if the Lord is, is singing with us um, when we're singing uninspired uh, songs in, in worship, but that's a, I, I don't know if I want to, we want to get into that can of worms, but. But in your view, you wouldn't be. I don't know. I haven't um, really thought about Christ singing with us. Uh, there's a, there's a really good verse. Um, Cause I gosh, I can't. Revelation four. And he's seated on the throne and the 24 elders bow down and they sing a, a new song. Sing a song. Or the, Holy, holy, holy. What is that? Oh, oh, yeah. So I'm getting that that idea from Psalm 22, 22, where it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. 
So again, David's saying that, but I think that that's also Christ saying that as well as he is singing the Psalms, as he sang Psalm 22 from the cross. Um, I don't know if he actually sang it, but at least said it. So, Yeah, it actually, we could talk about that in, in turn. Uh, let's see, it connects to one of my semi-objections, or at least questions, not objection necessarily, sure. but the idea of... Um, so I've heard it said by an exclusive psalmody friend that I have that if we are singing uninspired songs, we are not singing the word of God. We're not singing the word of Christ. Hmm. He made a connection. I thought I saw it in your notes here too, that the Psalms are the word of Christ because by definition, because they're the word of God. But in my view, taking preaching for an example, we don't preach word for word reading from the Bible. We preach doctrine. And the Westminster Confession of Faith is an example of that doctrine where it's not word for word just what the Bible says. It's an expounding of the scriptures. And as a confession of faith, by definition, the confession of faith is something we believe are words that Christ would speak and has spoken in his word. And we are expounding that. So, yeah. uh, so when you hear preaching, if the preacher is being faithful to the word of God, to the word of Christ then you are hearing Christ preaching to you. Um, that's my view of preaching. I assume it's yeah. um, So how is it that with singing that is different? Yeah, so again. How is it that we cannot write a hymn? Yeah. Sorry, there's a lag. Yeah, sorry, probably on my end. Um, Again, that just goes back to Colossians 3, you know, 15, 16, and Ephesians uh, 5, 19, and 20. It's uh, what are we commanded to sing in the, the public worship service? We're commanded by the apostles to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And what is that? That's a reference to uh, the book of Psalms. Um, so uh, I don't see – when it says lifting up prayers of supplication um, in, uh, you know, Philippians 4 um, – I, I think that we have the God gives us the the freedom uh, as we see throughout the scriptures of men uh, praying to God from their hearts, um, and uh, that could be praying a prayer that's in the scripture, or it could be uh, praying something that is just off the you know just from their heart. But but again, when it comes to singing, I think that God has given us a, a direct command to sing the words that He has given us to sing to Him. So, so it comes back to that exegetical yeah. argument basically okay yep i mean it's fair enough to come back to an exegetical <laughs> argument i mean wow yeah <laughs> as christians we should be okay with that i guess yep <laughs> <laughs> um so what does it look like walking into an exclusive psalm we'll try to wrap this up here um pretty quick yeah. um but what's it so what's it look like just just because this podcast is about explaining what it is not trying to argue for it or against it necessarily uh, and part of what it is is how it plays out practically. So, what what does it look like in a uh, in a church that practices exclusive psalmody? Well, I'll I'll tell you how our church does it. We uh, are in the process of trying to sing through the whole psalter. So, um, uh, each week we we have something called a, a psalm of the week. So that'll just be whatever's next in the rotation of psalms to sing. We sing that one, and so over the course of uh, a few years, I don't know exactly how long, but we'll be able to sing through the whole uh, Psalter. What's up? Three-ish, right? Three or so years. Yeah, something yeah. like that. There's a lot of technology to meet. Yeah. <laughs> then we have a Psalm of the month at our church. So we sing uh, for the, the month. We'll come and sing the same song. We'll sing it, uh, try to get it to memory some to some degree. We'll try to sing it in our private family worship. Um, and then the other Psalms that we sing in the, the worship service, uh, there's about like five or six total normally. Um, they'll just be something that maybe goes with the, the text that we're talking about um, or whatever the, the pastor chooses to, to put in the bulletin. But I, I definitely do want to say that uh, it might seem cold, uh, as a lot of people say, just to sing a cappella, to sing the words um, of the Psalms without a chorus, without a verse. Um, 
And my experience has been just a far more richness in my worship than if I were to sing Chris Tomlin, or that's a, that's a bad example, but maybe a a hymn writer from the 17, 1800s, that would be more popular, like a come thou fount or something like that. So I've been moved to the point of tears. What's up? Or Clement of Alexander from early. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've been moved to the point of tears just from singing the, the Psalms a cappella because not because of the a musical instrument has moved me uh, in the way that I would be moved if I was at a rock concert. I would feel the same feelings as I did if I went to maybe a non-denominational church that is very much into the music and the, the sound. Um, but what I experience is much more rich and lasting. Uh, it stays uh stays with me throughout the the worship service it's not just a pre a brief moment of uh an emotional high but there's a depth to it because it's founded on uh scripture and it's founded upon the theology of christ not upon a uh, a really good sound by the way how do you guys get the right tune yeah so we uh just uh set the psalms to uh to meter and to to rhythm how uh, us in america sing songs um, so we could, so Psalm uh, 46 actually is set to the tune of, uh, uh, what's Luther's, uh, what's his, what's his thing? What's what Psalm 46, a great, uh, refuge or whatever. Okay. Everyone knows the song that I'm talking about. The song that Luther, uh, is famous for writing. So we, we sing that that psalm to that tune because that's the the song that he wrote was inspired from psalm is our god yeah there you go great fortress is our god yep so yeah so we take a lot of a lot of tunes um uh and set them uh tunes we've grown up with yep if you grew up to sing hymns exactly yep cool and so how do you start out then i mean does everybody just start or is there something (laughs) reading or yeah, so uh, someone will come forward, um, and they'll usually s- sing the first note, and then the three, like da 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 da, like yep, the, all the different oh, tenors. Yep, different parts, and then uh, they'll usually sing the first line of the song, just like da 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 da. They won't say the words, and then we'll all join together and sing in harmony. So the first time you run through the verse, normally we're all singing the the uh, uh, the soprano line. Um, and then when we sing the next part, the next subsequent verses, we usually harmonize. Um, not that that's... So in the new creation, do you think we'll need one of those uh, tune meisters to get us started? Or we, can we just break out in spontaneous song all perfectly in tune? <laughs> probably. Tune yeah. Tune meister is probably the wrong fra- uh, uh, term for that person. Song leader? <laughs> well, that would assume that to some degree that there's something... Raw, like that we have to sing the notes like da 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 or da 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 um with that's something that happened with the fall i think that 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 would have always been i, I don't think that's a result of sin i think that's just that we have to get ready to sing this do the same be in harmony with one another so i don't know if that answers your question but in our daily life then we'll be harm in harmony with one another uh while we're singing too right yeah i mean i'm sure there's even there's probably a discussion there probably probably a little bit more substantive than how many angels can dance on the pin uh the head of a pin right (laughs) i haven't heard that one yet but (laughs) um Uh, hey if i could if i could just end uh unless you have anything else to say um there was one more thing i was gonna just mention but yeah you want to end now or you want me to ask that first no no go ahead i just didn't want to to drag on well we've been talking and we've been talking about singing we haven't talked about musical instruments so as an aside, you don't use any mus- musical instruments in your in your worship, which I think people would have gathered by now, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, there is an argument for that or against that, right? Am I assuming that right, rightly? Yes, there's, there's a reason why we don't use, why we only sing acapella and don't use instruments. And it's not because that's just a preference, but that's because what we see demanded in scripture. And does that tie in with, because in the temple worship, you saw instruments used. So how does, is that, does that, that have something to do with typology or something? Or what is that all about? Just a brief. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So it's funny when we're in uh, worship service on Sundays, we'll sing like, uh, I, goodness, it's in, in Psalm 140 is towards the, the end, probably 145 to 150 about like, uh, oh, Psalm 150. I think it's heavy and like use, uh, play the, the lyre and then the harp and the trumpet and like all yeah. these different things. Um, so we sing that as a congregation, which uh, I think is just funny to some degree. But anyway, the reason that we don't use instruments uh, is because um, of its connection in the Old Testament to the sacrificial system. So when you see the sacrifices being given, um, uh, there's trumpets uh, being played. Um, and it's kind of, I, I see it as as God is trying to give you another element of um uh, of the majesty to come in Christ Jesus uh, as it's the sacrifices were pointing towards him. I think the instruments just as much as the sacrifices were pointing towards Christ um, and uh, trying to give a picture of what was the, the beauty and the magnitude of what was to come. But when you get to the, the new Testament, you look at, uh, I think it's Hebrews 13. I want to say around 15 ish. Uh, you see, uh, make a, uh, Make praise with uh, your, your your tongue, with your lips. Um, make a sacrifice of thanksgiving with your praise. I think that's what it says. Um, and then when also, again, you look at Colossians 3, uh, 16-ish, it says uh, make, make music um, with, oh, goodness. Let me just look at it real quick. I think with your heart. Let's see here. Let the word of Christ draw on you richly. Maybe it's Ephesians. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, okay so it's Ephesians 5.19. So addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Wow. So I think there was a place in the New Testament where you say, okay, uh, this is the, the primary place where Paul should say, making music with, what does he say? He says, making music with your heart, making music with the 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 fruit of your, your lips with your praise to God. Um, so that's why we don't use instruments because of its connection to the, the ceremonial and the sacrificial system of the old Testament. Okay. Gotcha. Cause yeah, a common, a common, uh, objection goes immediately to Psalm 150. Sure. The Bible says to use instruments. Come on. What's wrong with you? Pete? <laughs> yeah. So for you guys, it's a, a more of a, an argument that, connects it to the typology of temple worship and how that's been fulfilled in Jesus, mm -hmm. which is fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just to sort of, to end now, um, I just wanted to just go to, to one portion of scripture where it talks about um, people worshiping the Lord uh, in a manner that he hasn't um, prescribed to them. And I, I, I think ultimately whether, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, um, there, there is a right and a wrong to this issue. Um, uh, and so, uh, I'm thankful that God has grace for his, his people. Uh, so when you look at, uh, second Chronicles, uh, chapter 30, when you see the restoration of temple worship, um, and you see the people coming together to worship again, they, they haven't done the things that God has required them to do. They haven't cleansed themselves, uh, and, uh, as been, as has been prescribed by the Passover, um, so Hezekiah, it says in uh, chapter 30, verse 18, it says, Hezekiah prayed for them saying, may the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the, the Lord God, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary rules of cleanliness. And then God responds in verse 22, Hezekiah's plea. And he says, the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. So I think that um, no matter where you land on this issue, I'm thankful that this isn't a gospel issue. Um, and that uh, we can be wrong and still be faithful worshipers, um, faithful children of God, um, no matter who's right on this issue. So I, I just wanted that to to be an encouragement to to people who don't see this point of view. Well, thanks. That means even though I don't agree with you, because obviously I go to a church that isn't an exclusive psalmody and no instruments and all that. Uh, that, that that doesn't mean you look at me like I'm a dirty, rotten heathen or something. <laughs> no, no, you're you guys, people who sing, you know, hymns, uh, contemporary hymns, so to speak, in, in you know worship service are our brothers. And goodness, that is not a reason to to, to <laughs> not call them a brother. Yeah, it's like it's like Baptists and Presbyterians. 
we can coexist yeah. as brothers knowing we're, we're living in a world where men get things wrong. Could be me, could be you. Yep. But Jesus is. Yeah. So. Um, and that's no excuse to follow our convictions either, is it? <laughs> no, I'm not saying we should just throw everything up and say, oh, you know, I, I don't know the answer, so I'll just do whatever feels good. But, um, well, but you get to exclusive psalmody and I don't, right? It's, yeah, we follow our convictions, we do the best we can, and we just keep going. The best advice that you ever gave me uh, when I was really struggling with this, and I was saying, you know, Josh, if I, if I take this position, I'm going against, you know, 99% of the church. Um, you, you told me not to, don't change my mind because that's what the popular or majority opinion is. Be convinced by what you're seeing in scripture. Um, and that was the biggest, I guess, burden off of my back when uh, you, you encouraged me with that. So I'm thankful I could be helpful. Uh, yeah. I, it's something I learned from other people. I, like I said, did we say this in the uh, podcast yet? That we just steal everything so. anyway? Every good idea you ever hear has been stolen. <laughs> yep, we're just a bunch of thieves. <laughs> That's what Christians are all about, stealing good <laughs> ideas. <laughs> uh, but we truly do. Uh, we truly do rely a lot upon on, on, our, on, on our Christian brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Um, I'm glad we have people to read like Denny Pruto, for example, or or uh, Calvin, or uh, Paul, David. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm thankful to have you, Brother Nikki, to uh, talk to. It's been a while since we've seen each other in person. Hopefully we'll get yeah. to see each other again someday. I'm planning on coming over to the seminary in August. You guys are starting back up when? June 1st, uh, if you're coming out of state, you got to quarantine for two weeks. Um, but other than that, if you're in state, I think I'm like one of the only people that I can think of in state. Uh, I should be attending class and probably setting up a Zoom meeting with just the teacher and myself, I'm assuming. I don't know. We'll see. But Wow. Fine. Well, I hope it works out okay. Everything uh, <laughs> lifts soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. So, Nikki, any questions for me? <laughs> Uh, no, brother, just, uh, you know, I'm convinced of my position. You're convinced of your position, but like I said, thankful that, uh, God has grace and we don't need perfect theology to come to Christ. But, uh, and listener, I want you to remember that we don't have to have everything perfect to worship Christ. But, um, if we know that he died for our sins, that he is the, the savior of, uh, sinners, um, and that, uh, we only can enter heaven through him, then we can, we can read our Bibles and and uh, and re- and receive His grace. So, knowing He is also our King, and we need to also listen to His voice, right? So, yeah, yeah. Amen. Do our best because He's done the best, and then He's given us His word to follow. And here comes my wife. So, I guess with that, we will end our podcast. <laughs> Thanks for practically theologians. Please send us an email with feedback or questions or even ideas at podcast at practicallytheologians.org. I hope you check us out wherever we can be found, wherever that is, and give us a review saying how great we are. I know somebody did that way back when. We are great. (laughs) And thanks, Nikki, for joining me. Uh, We're going to sign off now. Okay. Bye, guys.